Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Today, I'm joined by freelance writer, Liana Hafer. Hello. And today, we are discussing Company of Heroes 3, uh, which was just announced by Relic. Uh, and we have two members of the development team here with us today. First, we have executive producer, David Littman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having us. And we also welcome lead gameplay designer, Matt Phillip. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. Uh, so, yeah, Company of Heroes 3. Uh, Len and I both played it during this preview event. And I guess usually we start these things off with having people describe, like, what is this game? And with Company of Heroes, I think it's easy to assume, well, it's Company of Heroes. We've had two of them. We know what that means. But in this case, I think people probably don't. We're doing something, you're doing something different here with Company of Heroes. Uh, so let me toss it over to you. What is Company of Heroes? And in particular, uh, what is it you've shown publicly uh, this week? Well, Company of Heroes 3, obviously, like you're saying, is um, you know the third game in an award-winning franchise. We're so proud to be working on this game. Uh, but yeah, for Company of Heroes 3, we've changed things up a little bit. And I like to talk about the game through our audience's eyes. So, you know, we have two main audiences for Company of Heroes 3. First are the core Company of Heroes players. We still have almost half a million players playing Company of Heroes 1 and 2 on a monthly basis. Um, and a lot of them are playing PvP. So for us, it's most important that we get that right, that we make a game that these players want to play um, and that's what Matt and his team are doing such a great job of, of making the deepest RTS we've ever made with new units, new factions, tactics, theater, map, mechanics, everything. Um, and once we get that right, then we also want to add in this dynamic campaign layer, which opens the game up to strategy audience as well. We know a lot of our players who play Company of Heroes also play Total War, also play XCOM, also play lots of different strategy games. So. We wanted to make sure we can make a game where those players can come in and see a strategy game that's very deep. And then we have features such as full tactical pause, where you know if they're not playing RTSs lately, this allows them to play at their own pace. So we have those two audiences, and that's who we're making the game for. Yeah, I think um, a game we return to a lot here is I guess because Fraser Brown uh, finds a way to bring it up in almost every conversation <laughs> is Company of Heroes 2, uh, Ardan's Assault. And I think when I first heard the pitch from this game, uh, for the for this game, I immediately figured like, oh, they're just doing more of that. It's going to be like Ardan Assault, but like, what if big? Um, and that's <laughs> not quite what's going on. I've actually been playing... Uh, that expansion for Company of Heroes 2 a lot. Basically, since my access to the uh, alpha got shut off, I was like, well, hell with that. I'm going to go play uh, Company of Heroes 2. <laughs> um, and it struck me, like, how different they really are. Like, uh, our, our, our Dan Assault is a really simple, like, it's not quite a strategy layer. It's more like you're kind of going around this map and tackling, uh, like, proc gen missions. Uh, you are tackling some uh, sort of scripted uh missions at some key points on the map but company of heroes 3 seems like it's much more uh the the campaign layer seems much more fully fledged is that is that fair to say it seems like there's more more stuff to do there more decisions to make 
Yeah, go ahead, Matt. You have a lot of experience with Arden's Assault, so. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, an excellent way of putting it. So Relic is definitely in the past, we've dipped our toes in the water of these metamap layers. So as you know, there's Arden's Assault, there's Dark Crusade for the Dawn of War series, and even Dawn of War 2, the original, kind of had this strategic slash meta layer to how you would select your missions and, and those different aspects. So, but I think you, you, you frankly, you put it, you know, in the perfect perspective, this is a, a true fully fledged dynamic kind of campaign map experience. This is us taking it to the next level and really, you know, pulling things back from the RTS layer to, to be kind of this command overview or this kind of almost like a, like a, you're in a general's position and you're, you know, you're guiding a lot of your companies, your detachments, and you're working with your supply lines to get into different mission spaces. Um, and yeah, just you know, tackle the Mediterranean theater at a high level. So I guess like one place to start with this is um, why do it this way? Because I, I think the, the funny thing is I, I feel like RTS campaigns generally follow uh, a, a pretty strict template, which is linear narrative, really in some ways involved tutorial. Uh, StarCraft II breaks that mold a little bit by basically creating a different experience in single player, where the, you get different units that don't appear in the uh, in the PvP game. But in general, we're we're used to seeing like games like this, uh, like sort of unfold a bit like Company Furious One campaigns did, uh, where like it's kind of a a war story that's that's being told, and there haven't been a ton. I mean, obviously, like this legacy exists within relic where you have uh, slightly more nonlinear or dynamic campaigns, but in general, um, it's not something that's done a lot. It's not something that I, I feel like company of heroes uh, for, for a long time felt to me like a very hardcore RTS where like you had, like you have to be on your game playing that really intensely in PVP. Um, and I think the only games that I find really similar to what I see in Company of Heroes 3 in some ways is like, um, I don't know if you played Eugen's uh, like Airland Battle, War Game, uh, Airland Battle, or um, gosh, I, then they did Steel Division 2, uh, which, had, which had its own uh, campaigns. But, I, but I'm curious, like, why, why open this can of worms? Because like... <laughs> Once you have once you have like that second layer, it has to be good, right? Like in Total War, uh, one of the things that I think, you know, Len, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the things that we end up talking about a lot is like when the two layers don't support each other in interesting ways, when there's like, you know, a half that they nailed and a half that just doesn't quite fit together, the whole experience kind of gets like lessened, even if one of those halves is really good. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, this is a big can of worms you all have opened. And I'm curious why, why would you do that to yourselves? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Uh, Relic's never shied away from challenges like that. So it starts with the fact that Relic is definitely not afraid to, to innovate and, and go in new directions. But um, it actually, there's two places this comes from. Uh, right when we started development of Company of Heroes 3, you know, we looked at all the games on the market and we looked at our own games and and we listen to a lot of 3MA. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> when we go back to the first few months, and Matt and I were two of the first people on the team, it was a very small team. And, you know, 
you know, one of the main things was we looked at code two and uh, in code two, this is going to be a little bit surprising, but 80% of our players start in campaign um, and which goes along with what I've always heard on 3MA, which is lots of people love RTS for single player. Like it's just it's way more than people think. You know, it, you know, we always mm -hmm. think of RTS as, oh, you know, learn the game a little bit through campaign and, and obviously it's linear and you're done with it. And then you you need to move over to PvP or skirmish or you're done playing. And that's exactly what we saw in Company of Heroes 2. So those 80% of players that start in campaign, 70% of them drop out after a week if they don't and because they're not moving over to skirmish or pvp because they didn't buy the game to play pvp they bought it to play single player and campaign gives you just way more depth of you know making the battles meaningful because there's storylines and there's ways to push you forward so you know we really said well how do we fix that and so then we asked our players and our players in our surveys came back and said that they'd love to play a dynamic campaign map um, where they had more agency to, uh, you know, tell their own stories and, and forge their own path. And so with all that info, that's what led us down to this path. Well, and Rob was talking about, you know, getting one, one part of this right and, and one part of it wrong. I think another thing we've talked about a lot with Total War is this sort of core problem that when there's a very deep tactical layer and a very deep strategic layer, uh, it's it's kind of easy to cancel one of them out by being really good at the other one. <laughs> like if you're too good at like the campaign economics, you can kind of trivialize the tactical layer. If you're really, really good at the tactical stuff, you maybe don't need to pay as much attention to the strategic stuff. Um, Three Kingdoms had some interesting answers to this, but I'm curious uh, if uh, if you guys have thought about this much and how Company of Heroes 3 might sort of tackle that uh, that duality. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I think you, you play a lot of Total War lately. Yeah, so I mean, absolutely. <laughs> you know, you guys have nailed it again with the interns of your question that when you have a game that's got <laughs> two, two layers, they need to synergize well and they need to stand, stand well on their own as well. Because if one of the layers doesn't serve the other one, it becomes a barrier to the product. And we, you know, that is, that would be the con, that would be the big risk of everything. So, you know, I mean, one of the things that I absolutely love about the campaign map or the dynamic campaign map is the freedom of choice and the replayability that it's going to provide our players. So I believe we've all played the, played the, uh, pardon me, the pre, uh, press pre-alpha preview, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, you can select just right out of the gate, you've got some different battle plans. You can select the Americans or the British army, and then you can go into that initial, uh, that initial mission and play as a different company. And that right there, just that shows off that freedom of choice and that replayability of all those aspects. And I think that's, that's really going to be one of the key aspects of the big pieces of the puzzle that the campaign map provides. Yeah, I, and I want to add, you know, our our influences for for this mode of the game, you know, were not spore or covert action, even though I love covert action. Um, it, you know, where there's all, all these different aspects of the game, and and it's you know at, they didn't really come together. You know, our influence was is Total War. If you if you you know, and we have a great relationship with CA. They're our sister studio. And so we talk to them a lot. We talk to them about once a month, and we they've given us some great advice and great tips and feedback um, on how to do something like this. And we're not saying we're trying to be total war either, but obviously 
the template is is there, right, with a turn-based strategic map and then fighting the battle. So there's lots of differences in the franchise, but that's kind of we look at Total War as as a good starting place. We also looked at uh, Company of Heroes in the past. So when you look at Matt's game, the gameplay that Matt's team is building and the gameplay we had in Co. 1 and Co. 2, there's so much freedom of choice um, to play the game the way you want to play. I mean, there's still players finding new new tactics and strategies on, on how to win. And so we want to give players that same creativity um, and uh, emergent gameplay in the campaign map. So we had a good template to take the, the RTS part of Company of Heroes, bring it up to the campaign map, and give players that same feeling of um, being a, an allied commander. And so we think we've done a good job so far, but you know, in our feedback we're hearing is there's definitely lots of places we can tighten up and, and make things better. So I should probably take a moment here and describe what we did in this pre-alpha and what this campaign layer mm -hmm. is that we're describing. Uh, so yeah, so the... I think the, the final game, the plan is it's going to be covering all things Mediterranean theater, right? So that's North Africa, Sicily, uh, campaigns in Italy. And what we're dealing with in that opening scenario is the landings in Italy. And the sort of final boss of the demo we played was Monte Cassino, uh, which, you know, a, a infamously uh, bloody um, pitched battle um, waged in, in the Italian campaign. But the the alpha slice that we started on opens on the landings with establishing initial beachhead. You adopt, and it seems like the campaign will probably involve elements of this throughout, where out of the gate, you kind of decide which plan you're going to endorse. Do you go with the American plan, the British plan, uh, some sort of compromise plan that opens up different bonuses and different initial selection of like companies you can bring ashore. And then you go to a, it's not a risk style map. It is a, I'm, I'm struggling with to describe this. Uh, it seems like a very, it's a map full of like densely packed nodes and units have like movement points to move around this uh, strategic layer. It being Italy, there's obviously a lot of like mountain roads. There's also a lot of difficult, difficult terrain. Um, and then there are places of interest on the map uh, that sort of echo things you find in the tactical layer. There are towns that provide manpower bonuses. There are airfields uh, that you can take. There are locations that provide like munitions or fuel bonuses. And then there's cool things that you can call in. You're, you know, it's a naval invasion sitting off the shore on this uh, strategic map. You've got battleships that you can use to just do massive damage to German units before you engage them uh, on the strategic layer. But still at the heart of this thing is pushing units around this map and figuring out where you're going to send them. And your main playing pieces are, of course, still the companies. Um, and those sort of break down into the archetypes that broadly we know from from previous games you know there's a mechanized uh company a more defensive uh like one of the units you start with is uh like an indian artillery uh company that was super powerful um and those are those are fully fledged forces they can initiate a battle and you they will take you into the rts mode 
And then, and this is where I got a little bit, a uh, little bit fuzzier on how they all integrate with it. Then there are detachments, which are smaller sections, and they will not take you into those RTS battles. Um, and they tend to fill slightly more defined support roles. There's like medic detachments. There's um, like engineering detachments. And it seems like they can both do a little bit of like chip damage uh, against enemy units on the strategic campaign. But also if they are in the vicinity of an, en of an engagement between companies, they will provide bonuses based on like what flavor of detachment you have in the area that that roughly follow Absolutely. all right yep yeah and then the other part of this was as the campaign was unfolding there were some scripted events the germans blow the bridges uh leading directly to monte casino and so you have to either bring up engineers to repair the bridges to cross these rivers or you can start doing an end run uh through a much wider sweep through Italy. And along the way, you get lots of little mission prompts. You get people telling you that the Italian resistance uh, needs your help here. Meanwhile, maybe there's a German officer over here that needs assassinating. Um, you know, and then you will see on the map, German companies sort of prowling around uh, and you can go engage them directly. And I was a little bit unclear which of these missions, I think it's probably to the game's credit, I couldn't immediately tell what's a scripted mission where there's like an authored thing that I'm supposed to be doing here. What's kind of a proc gen, like just skirmish map that I'm fighting. Uh, and, and how are all these little battles that I can engage in? How are they being generated? It wasn't always clear to me. I was wondering if you could shed a little bit of light on that. Like we're talking about the various flavors of things you're going to be pulled into uh, for the RTS layer in this campaign. Uh, how does it all work? And, and broadly, like what types of missions are, are you going to generate? Yeah, so we've got uh, major missions or set piece missions, which will be kind of the anchor points of our experience. And then we also have minor missions. And those could be in the form of, for example, the officer assassination one, or might be you know uh, taking on a specific tank command or, or, or something that's a little bit more of a smaller scale, strike force nature. Uh, and then we have skirmishes where two companies go at each other and get in the field of battle. That creates uh, kind of like almost our, it's like Ardane's Assault as well that had the same formula there with the skirmishes where you're playing kind of a, you know, uh, kind of almost like a traditional multiplayer match versus uh, versus the AI. So it's a lot more dynamic than that. So those are generally the, that's kind of the rough makeup or the rough landscape of how the missions are broken down for the campaign map experience. Yeah, and there's a couple of things uh, to add. There's um, lots of, uh, you know, different ways to play. Um, the main thing that we want to get across here is that there's a story, there's storylines happening and you're driving the stories. And so that's why you are going to see different missions and, and things that you're not sure if they're a mission or not. Um, there was a very, very rudimentary storyline in the demo, uh, but we have amaz an amazing narrative team that is crafting lots more of those um, experiences so you know you will come up against a skirmish but there might be a secondary objective in the skirmish to let's say you know steal an enemy tank or do things like that so um, merging the narrative with the gameplay is it's very tough to do in, in a non-linear campaign and you know i think we're we're getting there it's it definitely wasn't there yet and you mentioned one other thing that i that i totally agree with which is detachments are a little fuzzy 
and we we feel the same way. We're actually redesigning the detachments right now, so we want to give you access to engineering and to medics and to uh, artillery and other things uh, that you may use as defenses or you may use to heal or to build or and things like that. Uh, but they're just not there yet. Like that that's one of the reasons we wanted people to play the game. We wanted journalists to play the game and players so we can get that feedback and we have a lot we have a long way to go before launch. So we definitely want to address uh, feedback like that. One thing I actually liked about the detachments in the in the demo we played is it it kind of felt like you could have this map control aspect uh like pointing uh you know pointing an anti-tank gun down down the road to uh maybe deal like some overwatch damage uh if you think about it in an XCOM sense where not every engagement happening on the map needs to be an rts battle so you're not having you know 15 rts battles per per turn but it still feels like there's stuff going on and you still have to care about other parts of the map other than you know wherever your your all-star companies are at a given time i'm curious if that's something that that you want to preserve or is that you know, are you maybe rethinking that a little bit i'd say absolutely it is it's actually part of a goal of the campaign map experience is to is to use all these different facets and these tools to you know get yourself into a better position so whether that's using a combination of air power or navy or your detachments to do things to set yourself into a into a, like a good position when you get into the skirmish scenario or even a mission so that, you know, you're, you're at an advantage as opposed to the enemy. So you're kind of setting yourself up for success on the battlefield. We want, you know, and as Lydia was stating, like we still need to work on how those two layers connect uh, with each other. I'll figure that out as we go with the players. Gotcha. But yeah, I think when you've hit on something key there, which is we've also all played games of total war that have gone this way but you don't want to end up in the place where um you keep getting pulled into battles that you really don't want to fight where you're like oh, i can't mm -hmm. gotta defend this place again oh my god i can't <laughs> like it and that seems like a tough it's a tough line to walk because on the one hand i thought it was cool the way um like the way my campaign went is i actually ended up making the end run pretty extensively before i brought up the engineers and just breached the river line uh, by repairing the bridges and moving straight up toward Casino. But it was cool, as I was doing that end run, this feeling of, well, I've massively expanded the amount of frontage that I have, and I don't really have a lot to fill that space. Um, and sort of controlling those lines is tricky. And so, like, there was the kind of this cool thing of, I have to be moving detachments around to sort of hold these key locations, that was cool, and I was glad that doing that didn't mean that um, just to chase off some, like, probing German infantry, I had to fight an RTS battle. Like, that would have gotten old. And it made it feel more special when, like, I finally encountered uh, with my leading armored unit a German armored unit, and it was like, okay, this is this going to be a proper battle. This is going to be a big engagement. Um, but on the flip side... There was a part of, uh, yeah, like it was, it, there was a lot of fiddly business uh, involved in creating those little blocking detachments and sort of, uh, you know, capturing parts of the map, um, chasing down German infiltrators uh, could, could be a bit of a hassle. And so it was, it was interesting to me that like some of the things I liked about it, this feeling of, hey, we're actually invading this country and running this whole campaign um, also 
led to some parts of it that were, and this seems really common in the strategy games, the feeling was evoked of, I'm running this entire campaign. On the flip side, I had units I cared about, and then there was just a lot of admin every turn where I was like, okay, this guy, you move to that town, you go sit here and get your... And uh, I'm curious how you deal with that tension, because I think your instinct is smart. You don't want players fighting every single skirmish uh, on a tactical map. But on the other hand, um, you know, if you abstract too much, you end up with kind of a, a weird strategic layer. It all comes down to pacing. Pacing is a key element, and we're going to need to play, uh, like, you know, really get it into the public's hands and play test and iterate internally a lot as well to figure out how to pace both these layers. Because, like you stated, and, you know, I'll use Total War as an example, you know, we don't want either layer to feel tedious or to feel grindy at all. We want to make sure, for example, our turn ratio is kind of quick, short, and snappy, that these, you know, that moving all these, because, you know, here, like, we wouldn't want to, like, let's say a scenario where, I'll use, yeah, I'll use Total War as, you know, you've got armies, but then let's say you've got, um, and our detachments are kind of similar to heroes for their game. If you had like 20 heroes and you were moving 20 heroes each turn in Total War, that might be a little cumbersome. So finding out the, you know, the right formula, how many companies do we want in the early, how many, sorry, I should say, how many companies and detachments provide the most optimal experience in the early game, in the mid game phase, and then later on in the late game will be pivotal. And we'll have to discover that as we kind of move along. As, as you stated, we wouldn't want to create a, you know, have a, a negative gameplay loop in terms of like, okay, well, I really care about these forces, but at this point in time, I really don't care too much about what's going on here on the left flank with these guys. You know, you want to kind of globally care about every single piece on that board game layer. That's one of the reasons we've already started redesigning detachments because, Rob, that feedback is exactly the feedback we were getting from our core community. Um, we have a community council that's been playing the game for years, and we were starting to see that lately with their feedback, and we can't wait to to see what, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of players think and, and let us know. And detachments, we want to give you the strategy, um, but we don't want it to be tedious per turn, and we want you to focus a little more on your companies, but still give you that secondary strategic layer, which is so important in these games. And I, I think Rob, for you, you know, logistics and supply is a big deal in a game like this, because if it's just, you're going up the map to fight, that's not really strategic. And we need to give those secondary examples and layers. And that's, that's been one of the hardest things to get right so far, but that's why this feedback is great. So when we're talking about uh company of heroes, you know, I was, so I've been playing company of heroes just before we, did this I, I fired up company of heroes one again um because i just wanted to check my memories because playing our assault i had i realized like wow company of heroes two really worked hard to try and do away with a lot of the hq management stuff uh company of heroes two is is very much like your base is your base and it's just a hub to generate units and the units are kind of micro heavy. There's a lot of abilities that you can you can use, but Company of Heroes Two is a little bit less interested in um, having the HQ be like a living part of the map uh, that much. Like the you can still build defenses out on the map, but uh, yeah, it's it's it goes really far away from being a base builder RTS. Company of Heroes One, the thing that sort of struck me is the entire 
like the British army, for instance, like the HQ is integrated with the map, uh, you know, the map control, uh, the, the British HQ moves around and you can sort of have them pick up bonuses. Um, and so it's not, it's still recognizable combat of heroes, uh, but it embraces a little bit more of, uh, like base builder type stuff. And my impression, I've never been like, I don't follow the community closely enough to, uh, like make any kind of definitive statement. Both games were enjoyed. Company of Heroes 1 seems like the one whose reputation like has endured more strongly. That like Company of Heroes 1 is beloved, Company of Heroes 2 is well liked. Um and I'm curious one if that's true in your experience and two like as we talk about the tactical layer, what are you pulling from each experience? Like what what are you doing how like what's what do you bring in from those two games and what is Company of Heroes 3 doing that's totally different? Yeah, so when it comes to Company of Heroes 1, we've always looked at that product as being our gold standard. Um, and, you know, this all comes back to we brought the community council. So these are, these are nine or ten guys that actually flew into Vancouver um, some time ago in the early phases of this game. And we asked them, you know, we asked ourselves and we asked them what they thought about Company of Heroes 1 and Company of Heroes 2 and how they compared. And both internally and externally with them, we agreed that Company of Heroes 1 was the gold standard. And we tried to help define what is that? What is, exactly does that mean? Uh, and we pulled out all sorts of different specific pieces. There's presentation, there's the gameplay, there's the responsiveness, there's the fidelity, there's the lethality, there's the overall combat pacing, and there's all these different pieces. It was really about the sum of the parts that kind of made just, you know, that, that, that product a slightly superior product in, in the end. Um, so moving forward, you know, with that knowledge, um, you know, we kind of took a lot of great strides to work with our community to continue to parse that out and see what, what is it that they want to, to see in Company Heroes 3. So I'll use a clear cut example. Uh, reconnaissance was one of the examples that we brought up. They wanted to see a stronger emphasis on recon overall uh, in the game. So that was something that we, we heard their feedback and we took action on that. And as a result, we have what we call dedicated reconnaissance units, and we have more reconnaissance abilities within our game for Company Heroes 3. So that's kind of the starting point. Yeah. It's it's tricky because I was, um, yeah, playing them all, like in the last two weeks, I've played all three games stacked up side by side, which has been an interesting experience. <laughs> and... Uh, it is it is funny to me. Uh, well, first of all, it, it sort of struck me. I was like, Company of Heroes 1, was that a harder game? Because uh, I was just getting rolled in skirmish after kind of just like walking all over Company of Heroes 2 uh, for, for a week. And uh, so it might just be the AI in Co. 1 still is better at playing that game. But uh, yeah, it, it's 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 tough to prize apart like what the uh, distinctions are. I think one thing that struck me in company of heroes three as i was playing it is once you did uh go that tactical layer there is and i suppose this is why it's a godsend the tactical pause exists um maybe even more so than either of the two games i've named it feels like there's a lot of units in co3 that have a lot of different options at any given moment um that they can sort of use that are either special abilities or contextual like one thing i'm thinking about is um like the breach ability, like getting units now mm -hmm. in position to like 
basically blast someone out of a fortified structure. Um, that's a major new change because it used to just kind of be you would park a bunch of hard hitting shit near <laughs> near a building full of guys and you just kind of set your little egg timer and be like in two minutes like everyone's yep. going to be dead or they're going to run yeah and i really liked how that lets you have the that like first half of a match where it's it's mostly infantry it gives you a lot more ways to play aggressively uh during that phase which i liked versus kind of like everybody's rushing to set up static defenses and then eventually someone will have the firepower to blow up the other person's defenses uh i thought that was that was a uh, one of the dynamics i enjoyed most from what we've played of, of coh3 so far yeah you touched on so um diversity is a really strong pillar for us when it comes to uh, our gameplay and we actually really we're honing in specifically on the early game and the mid game and, the, and we want to, this is an infantry centric theater Mediterranean. That's, you know, battles were fought and won with the infantry. So we really want to fully flesh that out. So breaching is one of those examples. You know, it's, we've always, so in terms of anti-garrison clearing tooling uh, options, we've always kind of had, you know, there's been mortars, flamethrowers, grenades. Those are some of the classic options, but breach is just, it's just another tool in the tool bag or in the toy chest to use against, um, you know, in those moments uh, when you're, you know, when you have the enemy up high in buildings. And it creates this like cinematic warfare style, this nice little presentation moment. And, you know, one of the benefits of breaching as well is that you clear out, you might, you either, well, the lethality, bump up the lethality pretty high so that it either takes out the entire squad or you kick them out or eject them out of the building and, this, and then you're now kind of in the king of the castle position. So it, it's a little different than, than those other tools, which is kind of nice as well. Yeah, and I can add that, you know, breaching is a really good example of a feature and and the backstory of why we put it in the game first and foremost it was to address uh, feedback from our core players that garrisoning can be too powerful so right there we're like okay you know how, how are we going to look to fix that then we looked at you know there's there's three pillars that make a company of heroes game what it is um, and that's you know all three games have to have these pillars and the first one is humanizing the battlefield and that's all about you know, making sure, you know, you keep your your units alive and you see these little soldiers as people uh, that you care about and have an emotional attachment. And all the features in the gameplay go to that, right? Retreat and, and so forth. Then emerging moments is our second one. And that's where we do want people to have lots of tools to do things that we didn't even expect. We just want to give people tools. And then we see things on YouTube that we never even knew uh, players can do. That, that's Those are great moments. Um, and then the last one is exactly what Matt mentioned, which is cinematic warfare. And that's where we take warfare, but we, uh, you know, only take the fun parts of the battle, right? Because, you know, we all know that, you know, wars can last, you know, a long time and some of the <laughs> battles can be, you know, you're just sitting around doing nothing for days. Um, so we take the best bits and for breaching, uh, not only did it answer something players uh, were looking for, which is uh, how to... Uh, take care of garrison buildings, but it, per it perfectly fits within cinematic warfare because it is something that happened all the time. Uh, you know, infantry breaching a building. I mean, you see it in Saving Private Ryan, every every World War II movie ever made. So it just fit really well with the, the pillars and with what players were looking for. Real quick, because I didn't pick up, I didn't fully internalize how this was working. Uh, so units have strength. 
and they can get damaged on the campaign layer. They they carry damage out of battles uh, with with them. Um, they can also be healed by like medic units. They can go to special locations that that heal them up. Um, talk me through like the connection between uh, like the condition of a unit heading into a battle in uh, Company of Heroes Three, and then the way that battle unfolds. So like I'm thinking in our Dan assault. Um, if the Germans are stronger at a place on the map, they have just, you face a better German army with more tools, right? Like their units are veteran, uh, the different classes of equipment unlock based on how strong they are. And if they're kind of hanging by thread, they're kind of pushovers in that game that they don't have a ton of their hard, their hardware. Um, and you can kind of roll them up. Conversely, if you run out of strength in that game, you just can't call in reinforcements after point. It's kind of like you just have to, you have to win with whatever you've got on the field. Um, how do you handle all this in Company of Heroes Three, in, in terms of like what you what you're dealing with on the battlefield? I'll go. Uh, but Matt, um, you know, has a lot of uh, you know the gameplay here within this. But um, at a high level, there needs to be the connection uh, between the campaign map and the RTS, and then back again and. In the pre-alpha preview that players are playing, it's definitely not there yet. Uh, we, we've gotten a lot of feedback that there needs to be a little bit more of a, um, you know, synchronicity between both. Um, there's two things that can affect company health that we're looking at. And one is uh, the damage you're receiving, right, from getting strategically bombed um, or naval bomb or, or, you know, just damage from uh, a pre-fight before you go into skirmish. Um, so there's... You know, all those ways you can get damage. And the second way is supply lines. So if you're out of supply, um, we're looking at, you know, what are the ways that that would then affect your the RTS part? And that really wasn't in the build yet, um, but definitely something we are very interested in. And there's lots of other things that um, can affect a battle that are not in the game yet. Uh, but Matt, maybe you can talk a little bit more about what we're going for there. Yeah, absolutely. So... To sum it up, we are definitely in the infancy stages of tethering these two parts of the game together. So like Ardane's Assault, for example, I worked on that and that had a nice structure to it in terms of each mission or each skirmish had, I believe it was five tiers in which the Germans you know, could gain power over time. And there's things that you could do to uh, take out that, remove that power, or you can you know, time a mission to come in at a good place. But their power grew over time and it was really nice to see. And I think that worked well for that specific uh, experience and formula but um yeah going forward this is a, this is an area and a part of the game that we absolutely need to spend some time on uh in the future because we need to figure out how do these two pieces connect we absolutely know that we want them to connect and we want this to matter both from the rts layer and the campaign map layer but uh yeah i'd say it's still in the early stages of trying to figure out exactly the specifics of what system we're going to implement here um to kind of cater to both things yeah, and I get, if we can get player feedback on this, it, it will really help. There's another feature that's not in the game yet, um, which is, how, you know, what uh, what happens on the RTS? How do you take that back up to the campaign map? And uh, a feature we're going to be start uh, starting to implement soon are officers. And officers um, are going to come out of, if you have, uh, you know, if you play well in the RTS layer and you vet up all your troops and um, you can get an officer coming out of, that battle that, that can then give you um, um, bonuses on the strategic campaign map. So just that whole loop of 
campaign to RTS and back again uh, is really one of the toughest challenges for sure. So on the player feedback front, um, let's give you some right now. Len, are these guys making a cool game? Like, what was it? Was your vibe playing the uh, t playing the slice? Like, how did, how did it strike you? I, I was it was not what I was expecting in terms of the campaign being. And I think Total War is honestly uh, a pretty decent comparison. I know, Rob, you were trying to kind of describe it earlier, like like Total War with discrete provinces that can be taken independently to cut off supply lines. Um, I think it's it's very ambitious conceptually. I'm very curious to see where it's going. Uh, the tactical layer, at least from the slice we saw, was surprisingly finished. Uh, I don't want to say finished, but it's it surprisingly far along uh, for something that's not coming out until like late next year. Like I, I feel like you could jump into a lot of these individual missions and, and feel like you're playing a, you know, a retail company of heroes game. It doesn't have a lot of that uh, kind of, I guess, early access jank. <laughs> a lot of us have gotten used to, uh, if you listen a cup back a couple episodes, we did a, a whole episode on early access uh, strategy games. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an infantry person uh, when in most RTS games, uh, I like my tanks, but I, I tend to play these like very aggressive infantry focused armies. Uh, so I've enjoyed getting that focus back. Um, I I am curious because, yeah, it is so early on, like you guys were saying, to see how that strategic layer is going to play in with uh, with the tactical layer more and, you know, what the final map's going to look like, uh, what. Uh, some of the the story elements that we've got with you know like the the Italian partisans and trying to keep them happy and they might give you bonuses. There was like a very rudimentary version of that in the build we played, uh, but I'd love to see how that gets expanded on more and how those story moments are um, are presented in their final form. Um, but overall, I'm pretty you know I'm I'm vibing with it. I'm liking what I've seen so far. Yeah, I think. Going to Ardana Saul, the thing I'd kind of forgotten was just um, you really are just kind of like cleaning the map of the Germans, really. You're just mm -hmm. scrubbing that whole uh, salient of, of of the Wehrmacht. And here I kind of liked the notion that like I had my armored column get completely rolled. Uh, now, admittedly, it was because I misunderstood the battle I was in. So even though they tell you at the start, they're like, hey, we can't lose that, that key location. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, got it. Beat the Germans. And so I was just like <laughs> wrecking house in this mission. And then they ninja the because it's a it's a point. It's a ticket mission. And so like you control the strategic locations, you, you draw the enemy down to zero tickets. You you win the match. But also there was one that I apparently had to keep or I was just going to like insta lose the mission, which is actually pretty cool because it, it, it did create a moment like this where I was just wrecking the Germans. I was cleaning up the entire map and they just blitzed that one location. And I was like, they can have it. I've got I've got this thing in the bag. Um and then they took it and immediately like the mission exited and my like prize armored unit was just like smoked, uh, took <laughs> massive damage. Um, and then as they retreated, they got ambushed by a detachment. Um, oh. And so the entire 
thing just kind of turned it to ash instantly. But it was, it was kind of cool because like it did. This battle would have been different than a normal skirmish because like I should have probably been fighting with one hand tied my behind my back because that one location was so key. Um, and I just like treated it like any normal skirmish. But I thought that stuff was really cool. I thought um, there was a mission where I had to go to this like uh, chateau and assassinate this German officer. Uh-huh. And it got pretty gnarly um, in terms of how that all unfolded. Uh, it was mm-hmm. kind of a classic RTS stealth mission where I was like, part one went really well. And then part two turned into a bloodbath. And then yep. part three <laughs> was just like, uh, I guess the, three of you who are alive yep. can leave. Um, yeah, I had to sacrifice both of my snipers just to get anyone out of there alive. I was like, all right, you're a distraction now. Sorry. But that's it awesome. Was, uh, that's awesome to hear because, you know, again, you're, you're, you have this emotional attachment to your, to your soldiers, but in some cases, yeah, there may be some sacrifices. And I think what you're bringing up really to us is, is, is fantastic. The, the RTS is furthest along because we've done it mm-hmm. for a long time. The missions are next. Those are nice, coming along really nicely. There's some great missions in there. We just need a lot more of them. And then the last thing uh, coming along is the campaign map, because it's new to us. It's huge. Um, we've never done something in you know 3D like this. And um, you know we're still getting feedback on it. That's why the first experience everyone's playing is the campaign map experience, because that's the one we need the, the feedback on. We don't need as much feedback on the other parts um, as you know this early because when we do get pvp slices out there to people um, we'll get the awesome faction feedback and unit feedback and gameplay feedback that matt's team needs but it really is understanding the campaign map part because it's it's definitely not the furthest along in terms of like factional identity this is what i'm just kind of curious about um you know what i when I go and I play, this is like some of the army identities in Company of Heroes are incredibly strong. Like when I when I go back to play the Brits in Company of Heroes one, like I'm like, oh yeah, this is all about like map control and like projecting map control and like having officers and basically you just like you know plant yourself at key locations. Um, the Americans have that like your units aren't real great at the start but they can gain veterancy and they have a lot of that classic coming of heroes you're better off just retreating if things get too hairy um and that stuff's really kind of iconic for company of heroes here we got kind of a new setting um and you'll be playing with different uh both like national armies uh you know you in the in the slice we played um you know, there's the Indian artillery uh, with, with their own infantry units. Uh, you had uh, like American airborne, American commandos. But I'm curious, like in terms of the identities of the forces you're playing with, like what are you trying to um, like? I guess you had to boil down some of these new company archetypes down to their essence, like what the dynamic of playing them is uh like how would you describe them have we have we seen any of them before effectively or are they all kind of like new and different from what we've seen in the previous two games so in terms of the actual armies themselves so if we look at let's say the american army 
you know, we, we call that internally, we call that the at-home faction. Because we want players to feel, if you play Company Heroes 1, we want there to be a strong resonance between that American faction and the one that you're playing here on the Mediterranean. Um, you know, very heavily uh, infantry-centric, high focus on combined arms, lots of very interesting and unique uh, elite infantry in the paratroopers, the rangers, the SSF commandos, and things like that. And the case on the flip side is the British Army. So this is where we're straying away a little bit from what we've done in the past, where the British armies have been very, very defensively oriented in the previous products. And while we still want to maintain that to a certain degree, especially with the infantry, I would say when it comes to the infantry, there's, there's still a lot about kind of creeping up, slowly advancing your line. You're being a little more cautious as opposed to the Americans, which can kind of uh, provide these larger winded flanks. Um, but where the British are different this time around is their vehicles. We want them to really have this kind of like hit and run mad dash with their vehicle set. So if you have the opportunity to play the, you know, the demo and you play both of these armies, there's a lot more light vehicle play with the British army. And you kind of really use those in tandem with your infantry to kind of support the two. So there's a little bit of synergy and cat and mouse play there. And then in terms of the next level, so the companies. So yeah, the closest thing. So Ardane's Assault is a good example of you know, uh, companies and where we started, you had the, um, the airborne, the support, and I believe it was the mechanized company, which each had a strong identity and they had certain units and abilities and capabilities within them. We kind of flexed a muscle of a play style that you would want to play for these particular companies. And now, so now that we're here with company heroes three, we kind of want to dial that up to the next notch. And, you know, so for example, in this demo, you've got as the Americans, you've got the Airborne or the Special Operations um, Company. And then as the British, you've got an Armored Company or Armored Support Company, uh, as well as the Indian Artillery. So one thing it's about, you know, right out of the gate would be about, it's about getting new toys in the toolbox again. So, you know, what new units can we pull to this theater? And that can be a little bit challenging in itself because, you know, this is the third time around that we're doing the American Army. So you kind of, you know, you look at that, that initial roster you're like well wait a second we've done 90 percent of like the units that you can kind of pull from what are we going to do here but that's when we kind of unearth the magic of bringing in the other nationalities we'll say so again or just even digging deeper into for example the special operations and how they were that's a combined american and canadian force that you know i didn't frankly just didn't know existed until we explored this part of the theater and that's been the exciting part of this journey and then yeah getting the diff other different nationalities whether that's going to be Indian, of course, are in the demo, but maybe in the future we might look at Polish, French, Canadian, and others that, you know, because that was the exciting part about this theater. It's an allied front. There was at least, I think, 30, over 30 countries on the allied side and multiple different countries also on the Axis side that, um, you know, partook. So one of the other, I'll just finish off here, one of the other pieces that isn't in the demo, well, it is a little bit, but not in its playable form, is partisan units. So partisan units are going to play an absolute critical role on both sides of the war. Um, well, sorry, as, uh, as sorry, partisan units will be on the Allied side, but the Italians overall will be featured on both sides of the war. Um, so, but as the Allies, so whether you play as the British or the Americans, you're going to be able to make use of specific, unique partisan units within the missions that have unique capabilities that we haven't seen, and I can't wait to pretty much share that with the players because that's going to be really exciting. And then on the flip side, on the Axis side, there'll be Italians. So that, yeah, that's, uh, you know, sometimes in terms of the army stuff and then the companies and then, so we have armies, we've got companies, and then we also have partisans as well. Um, 
that does when you when you when you bring bring up like the sheer number and variety of forces that uh like deployed in italy i think italy is also unusual because if memory serves uh that is also the front where you have in the american army all black divisions uh deployed in frontline roles and i think that's where the um japanese american infantry were sent as well um and i'm curious like if there's any plans to sort of highlight those forces uh, in their history on the uh, Allied side, um, I'm curious how you're handling that. Yeah, so we, we've definitely done the research across the board. There's so many, you know, you've got South Africans, you've got Brazilians, you've got uh, Polish, you've got all sorts of other aspects. And like you stated, under the American Army, there's uh, there's all sorts of different divisions. I don't remember the exact name of divisions that fought but yes i know there was the um yeah the the african-american one that fought i think that was a little bit after po valley later on north in italy and we absolutely want to see you know where where can we kind of flex our muscle in these spaces to add add that diversity add that culture into this uh, an allied front and when we choose to do so we'll be working with experts cultural sensitivity um, experts as well to you know because we want to do whatever we do in that space needs to be done properly responsibly um, and do justice for all that. So we'll kind of, yeah, we'll kind of see where that goes. One last thing I wanted to ask, you brought it up a few times, which is, um, I forget, your council of very important players. What's it, what's it called? The community <laughs> council? Community council. Yes. Um, okay. So here's the thing. I feel like every developer um, is, is like, you know what we did when we were making this game? It's going to be different. We listened to our community. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Pretty cool, right? And the thing is, like, communities rarely speak with one voice. Um, and then sometimes, like, you do have the the weird phenomenon of, and I think this is always kind of tricky. It strikes me as a tricky problem when you're a developer. You have people who are kind of going to love the shit out of whatever you make and be playing it for a thousand hours, no matter what. Um, and then there's also the people who maybe you kind of don't hold their interest that long, but like gave you a shot, gave you a shake and, and, and kind of uh, moved on. And one of the things that's always struck me about community feedback is that it seems like when you're talking about like community pillars, your odds are very good of mostly talking to hardcore players. And in some ways the feedback can be, really good because who knows the game better but on the other hand sometimes you're like i saw this time play out tons with starcraft right where like what the hardcore pvp community wanted may not always have been the right thing for the game for the the right thing for its its broader appeal um these become really contested spaces and i'm curious like what approach are you taking with this and how are you balancing that um that tension between your most dedicated community is kind of by definition not the broadest audience you guys could probably hope to achieve um and so i'm kind of curious like how you like make sense of those two uh not not kind of contradictory but like diverging uh like perspectives and uh experiences of the game yeah, I can start that out, and, and Matt has just some amazing examples of how it's worked over the last few years. At a, at a very high level, you're very correct in saying that some companies use, you know, 
players in, in a more of a PR marketing, you know, way of like, hey, we work with influencers and look, they're playing our game and we listen to them. Um, you know, for us, it's not about marketing or PR. It's about actually having the players play the game and then give us the feedback. Because once players play the game, it's a lot different than just them posting on a form what they'd want to see in the next game. They need to play it to give us the right feedback. Uh, and then secondly, the, the beauty of working for Sega and being a Sega studio is we have access to other players other than just Company of Heroes players. So uh, our, our community, the first 10 players that came into the summit were the core that you're talking about, that we just need to get the gameplay right. So we do want to start with them. Um, but then working outwards, when we built up the community to over 70 players now, this, this small council, um, over 30 of them are um, strategy players who do not play Company of Heroes. And, and that was specifically to get feedback on the campaign map. So um, Amplitude and the Creative Assembly actually gave us uh, access to some of their players to talk to, and, and they've become part of our council. So that is uh, what we're trying to do is say that we have the core players who are really going to help us with core gameplay and then a wider strategy audience that are also giving us feedback uh, and just making sure they're playing the game. Because once they play the game, they don't hold back. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's it's not just, oh, we, we're glad to be part of the community. It's actually, hey, what are you doing over here? What is this? We don't like this. And, and then the last piece I'll say before throwing it to Matt is that it's about trends. You know, it's about listening to groups of, of things and where are things going and what's the vibe people are, are, are having. It's not really about the, the one hardcore RTS player that, you know, they just want this one feature. Um, you know, we talk to that player and say, hey, we don't think we're going to do it and here's why. Um, so it's not about listening to every single thing they say. Matt and his team are professionals and, and incredible at coming up with things, but it is about working together and understanding uh, where the flow is going uh, when we make changes. Yeah, absolutely. It's about, you know, as Lily stated, it's about grabbing a wide set of touch points. So you have the community council, we have our telemetry, we of course have our internal guidance, um, you know, public surveys, interacting with the public. But ultimately, what I love about working with our players is that it allows us to fail fast and it allows us to fail smart and allows us to hope, like really understand the boundaries of our game and hone that compass, or sort of that compass rather. So pretty much if they see something that's in the game that kind of instantly doesn't feel code, they're going to be the first players to just ram that message down our throat. And that's great. I like, honestly, that that's what we really need is just that, you know, that rose, rose glasses kind of off type of thing where, you know, we can have that, that open, transparent, honest communication back and forth, which helps really craft our game. And we've had some really great examples of that in the early stages because we've actually been playing with our our council for almost over three years. We've actually been playing the game, playing these armies, and we had quite the journey with, for example, with the German army, actually. So, and I think it it makes sense actually, even on paper, because you know this is the we've done I don't know okay I think we've done nine armies in total throughout the multiple games. And we've done maybe five or four Axis armies. So, you know, to do uh, a sixth or, uh, you know, to do another one here this time around for our third installment, like, there, it really requires a, a good quality facelift to the army. You know, what tools are we going to use? What mechanics are we going to pull from? We want this army to feel fresh and feel new for, for our experience with veteran players. Um, so that, that was a really great journey to go through, all those ups and downs. 
together with the council. Um, and yeah, that, that's been really nice so far. All right. I think, um, you know, as we're near the end here of our time, um, I think one of the things that I'm probably personally most excited about is the fact that um, I do enjoy these concessions to both the single player experience and also sort of the uh, learning curve, I guess the way I put it. Like the, I did not expect to find the tactical pause uh, as helpful as I did, but it was really nice to be able to, in some of those hairier missions, to just be able to be like, all right, hold on. What's actually happening here? Because it can, like Company of Heroes has always been a pretty spectacular series visually, but it can also be overwhelming. And like when it is at its most spectacular, there is tons of information on the screen, but like it can be hard to parse all at once. And I think one of the things I really did dig about this uh, like slice was this feeling of I was able to just slow it down and turn it into more of a tactics game than an RTS. And I think it, you know, it's, it's weird. I think there've been a lot of times where um, the sound of an RT, like an RTS sounds really good, but I think one of the problems is it's always such like all in type of gameplay uh, that like, for instance, I can't play company of heroes with a cup of coffee because the coffee will mm-hmm. get cold. I will not be able to take like, I'll have one sip of that coffee mm-hmm. and then 35 minutes later, I'll be like, ah, it's, it's ice. <laughs> Cause I have not th- thought of it since. Uh, and the fact that like this, you can sort of like a bit like fight club, you can choose your own level involvement. I can just sort of kick back and be like, you know what? I'm going to need a minute to think about where this MG is going. That is, made more of a difference to me than I expected. I don't know if you found it similar, Len. I love the tactical pause, honestly. I know that that some people will will frame it as like a training wheels thing, and obviously it's it's not going to be in PvP, but for playing the campaign, I think I'm going to use it a lot. And I've been playing RTSs most of my life, um, but I just love especially later in a match when you like I you just start to get that like red mist of like there's too many things going on. I just I have to sever my mental connection to like this control point over here because it's just too many things for me to focus on. Those guys are probably going to die, uh, you know, too bad for them. Um, but yeah, I love I love the way that it lets me continue to care about everything that's going on, even much later in a match when there's a lot going on. Um, it's great for, oh, you know, uh I got to figure out where to put this motor pool and I don't mm-hmm. want to spend a lot of time doing this. So I'm just going to pause really quick and place it and then get back to my fight. Dude, the, the uh, thing you mentioned, like later in a company of heroes game, I think it's not just that like, there's a lot of dense information on the screen, but like company of heroes maps, the fields of fire, the lines of sight mm-hmm. are all yeah. like, they all matter. And at a certain point in the game, if you start falling into that, um, Okay, I'm just going to hot group this and just going to be sending group one, like racing like a fire brigade. <laughs> but you're not like using cover or like special abilities that much. You're kind of missing out on a lot of the fun right. of Company of Heroes, which is like, all right, like now let's see these fuckers take this point because like I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm set up to murder them. Um, yep. And if you're once you enter that like mode of uh, I am now overwhelmed and I'm just racing around, you're leaving so much of that good Company of Heroes stuff on the table. 
And I think like it was very easy when I think back to the experience of like playing Company of Heroes one, I think it was very easy for people who would have been on board with like the tactics of it to feel like I remember on some of the forums I was at um, who like more wargaming minded people were like, oh, it's an RTS click fest. And it's like, well, one you're old as hell and uh you know a bunch of a bunch of you i think might be nazis uh but but two uh the the other part of it was it's obviously not an rts click fest and i think you know the things that you guys love about like um like close combat a lot of that is in this game but you just can't see it and i feel like with the tactical pause the people who are like i want to have that like world war ii tactics experience i think it's finally accessible in a way that it really hasn't been um and i i really did enjoy having that available i think the existence of a like fully built out campaign like that will make it uh even more approachable Uh, that's great to hear um from both of you and and it really it does show that we're we are looking at two audiences here right and and we're not just concentrating on the hardcore pvp and that the Absolutely, the gameplay is coming from from there as a starting point. But if we're asking strategy players to come into our uh, franchise in Company of Heroes 3, then we have to give them tools to be able to play um, the way they want to play. And, you know, we all know RTS is, you know, we're, we're a bigger genre 25 years ago. There's no doubt about that. And now there's there's very little room at the top. Um Luckily at Relic, we're making two of the, of the best ones, uh, Age of Empires uh, franchise uh, and then Company of Heroes. And besides StarCraft and, and Command and Conquer, maybe a couple others, like there's, you know, there's these top ones. At the, and for us, we really want to grow the genre. And to do that, what, what we're trying to do here is if you just love RTS and it's your favorite genre, oh, we, we're giving you so much in our co-op skirmish and our PvP. But if you want to play, you know, a little bit more of a, a game at your own pace and you haven't played RTS in a while, then tactical pause, full tactical pause is the the way you can do that. Because, you know, and I love uh, Combat Mission, one of my favorite games from, you know, 20 years ago when I used to play it. And you could almost play it like Combat Mission, right? You set up uh, all your, your moves and you pick go. Um, and, yeah. and the only thing we're, we've changed is, is you could stop at any time. Uh, you don't have to wait out 60 seconds or um, and see what happens. But that is the goal, that people can come in and it's a great entry point and they could play. Uh, but the, the hardcore getting what they want and new strategy players are also getting what they want. Yeah, I've, I've always appreciated tactical pause. Or sorry, well, being able to pause in the Total War series, for example. And I think that it translates over to our game pretty nicely, too. So what tactical pause does is it actually feeds directly into one of our major pillars from a gameplay perspective, which is that um, strategy and tactics feeds dexterity. And what that means is that you should be able to outsmart your opponent or the AI or whoever that is and not have to outclick them. So, for example, we actually hired one, you know, we're working so closely with our community that we actually hired a couple of them. And one of them is uh, he's a, you know, he's a pretty much a top player from Company Heroes 2. And every once in a while I can slide out a win, though it's in most cases he's kicking my ass. But um, that's where I kind of see that pillar kind of evolve. And it's just great. Like even myself, like, you know, I've been playing Company Heroes since the first one. At first, I was like, oh, tactical pause. Do we really need that type of thing? This is an RTS after all. Um, but, you know, when it was there and then coming from Total War, I was like, 
this is fantastic. I even use it, you know, in those moments of, like you stated, like, you know, you're having this overwhelming defense moments or you're, you're wanting to pull off some really neat, intricate tactical gameplay because you know, we are an action-based, highly tactical experience. So in those moments where you're really trying to leverage combined arms to the best of your capability, it's like, okay, you know, like, let's take breach. Okay, so there's just, you know, there's breaching. I can just throw my guys up, you know, right into a breach moment. But they may take some some uh, hits and some so some of the squad members might die on the approach. So let's take let's take a tactical pause and have a, an advanced breach moment. Okay, I'm gonna have this mortar smoke the the, the building out, and then I'm gonna move my guys, you know, through cover, leapfrog them up, and then breach so that they don't lose any entities. And that's kind of how I've mastered a breach moment using tactical pause. Craft that like yeah that those fine finesse tactics that. Um, you know our series is all about and we want players to feel really smart and that that goes for the campaign map level and of course in the rts and and i wasn't feeling very smart with company of heroes one and two because i'm not a great player i mean that's why we have players like you know matt and other players on the team who are amazing players and that's why they make a lot of the decisions for gameplay but you know i want to feel smart in company of heroes three and 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 tack pause does give us uh, a way to do that I just, I like to feel smart. That's why it's in there. Yeah. And when, when a plan comes together and coming up heroes, you can feel very smart indeed. Smoke every game though. Every game that gives me smoke. I'm like, I forget to use it. And I'm like, Oh shit. That would have been, that would have been the key there. That MG couldn't have killed all those dudes. If I just put smoke down. Uh, but then I never do. Cause why, why use smoke when you just shoot at someone a lot. In effect. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Last question. Uh, we have alluded to this in terms of like the timeline of this release. I know that, uh, you know, there's different models that uh, like Amplitude, for instance, uh, has like versions of it become playable and then our sunset as they test different things uh, throughout the roadmap. I think Humankind is finally approaching its 1.0 release, but there've been obviously a lot of events where there've been uh, public betas and tests of different features. Uh, I'm curious what the road ahead looks like for Co3. And uh, yeah, when are you, uh, when are you targeting release and like how confident are you in it? Yeah, we we're targeting late 2022. Uh, so again, you know, we're announcing early so we can start getting feedback and, and Liana, I did listen to that episode, uh, you know, with early access and, you know, I, we like to say we want to get all the benefits of early access from a development standpoint, but not, uh, charge players, uh, for that experience. So, you know, everything that will be coming out on, on the road to launch is more like, uh, amplitude and, and with humankind, you know, there'll be free experiences. We started with a single player campaign because it's where we need the most feedback. Um, we do plan on having uh, two, up to two PVP slices, which is really Matt's, um, you know, call there on, on what factions are going to be involved and, and when we need to get that feedback so we can implement changes. So you'll see, uh, you know, three or four of these um, slices that we uh, um, go live with on the road to launch. Um, we are confident in our in our release. We've been going for a few years. We've been getting feedback for a few years, uh, and we feel really good about where we're at. Um, at the same time, we have a lot of work to do. We have an amazing team at Relic, just an incredible team that uh, on the campaign map, on the RTS, missions, art, audio, everything. So, yeah, we feel really good. 
Awesome. Uh, well, I am. Uh, I'm excited to say it. I wish. I wish you didn't keep saying late 2022. Uh, <laughs> I could. I could do with like mid 2022 <laughs> or even early mid to late. Yeah. Mid, mid to late. How's that? Yeah. Um. No. It, the the demo did feel uh, the the alpha we played uh, did feel surprisingly buttoned up uh, in in some respects, and so I'm really excited to see what the final product uh, looks like. Uh, thank you so much for coming through and chatting with us uh, about Company Fierce 3 today. Uh, that will do it for this week's episode. Uh, it was produced by Len here. Uh, so hopefully the audio I'm sending will not be as dubious as it looks uh, as I <laughs> stare at it on my monitor. Uh, Through Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode of our community at throughmovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. This month, our $5 Patreon backers will hear, this was Troy's idea, so <laughs> direct your comments to him. Uh, we're going to, for our movie podcast, we're going to look at two musicals, 1776 and Hamilton, uh, and sort of discuss how they approach the founding era of history and the very different musical approaches they adopt in doing so. Uh, it's the most Troy Goodfellow thing we could possibly do. Uh, <laughs> but here's my guilty confession. I know those, I know those uh, soundtracks pretty well. And so <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not quite the theater kid that Troy is, but I'll be able to, uh, I, I'm definitely as implicated in Hamilton in 1776 as Troy. Uh, you can check it all out on uh, patreon.com slash 3MA. We'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, uh, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.